0: Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder.
1: I'm Alex Argo.
2: And I'm Alex Robinson.
0: This is episode 55. All right, guys, so today we're going to try out a little format change. Uh, We're thinking about hitting up news first and spending a brief little period on that. And then getting into our topic of the day, we're going to talk about dependencies. So, who wants to start us off on some news items?
2: Uh, we talked uh, in a previous episode about upcoming new MacBook, MacBook Pros, and uh, there's a recent rumor that there's going to be an early 2016 update for the MacBook. Uh, which is definitely promising. The MacBook Pro looks like it's going to be out a bit later, but uh, there were hints in recent OS 10 updates that uh, we'll see at least a bump on the MacBook very soon.
1: Yeah, I think it was, it showed up as early 2016 in like uh, some beta release of the software, and they normally separate it early, mid, and late, which which is in I guess four month increment increments. That's how you split up twelve into. Three, right. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, so we should see something hit around April. Now, whether or not you know it's a big jump or just a minor speed bump.
0: Yeah. Well, it's only for the MacBook. Right.
1: Yeah. Just the MacBook is the early 2016 model that was lifted listed. But I'm hoping we get some of the MacBook Pros later on. The later, the better. Because I'm hoping we'll get like some really sweet GPU, so I can maybe even like, power a VR headset with my MacBook Pro. There you go. But I'm guessing that's probably not going to happen. We'll see, though. Got my fingers crossed. Uh, uh,
2: I, I I think we'll see uh, a refresh of the MacBook Pro in in June around WWDC with the, the Rose Gold.
1: Oh, yeah, I got to get the Rose Gold, too. So speaking of rumors, th- these ones are a little bit uh, less substantiated. There have been persistent rumors from people inside Apple that there have been, like, demos going on for a while showing Xcode in some form running on an iPad. I'm not sure if that means iPad Pro or Big iPad Pro or all the iPad Pros, who knows? Or maybe it even runs on, like, a Air 2. But seems like that's been in the work for a while and the rumors have been picking up. I've seen, like, a lot of the journalists are getting this information, which probably means there's some kind of controlled leak. Maybe I'm not sure. What, what are your guys' thoughts on this um, one?
2: I suspect it's going to be focused on playgrounds, if anything, rather than full-blown Xcode. Uh, something like IBM's uh, web-based Swift editor. Um, you know, I, I think most people will tell you that developing on it with Xcode on a MacBook air is painful, can't imagine doing that on the iPad on a regular basis.
0: Possibly on a Pro, but yeah, I'm with you with. You mean with the, the big Pro, right? Because the nine point yes. <laughs> seven
1: inches, the Pro as well. Remember. <laughs> yeah, the,
0: the twelve, the twelve Pro, yes. yes. <laughs> the the one two Pro. Yeah,
1: we need yeah. a better name for this.
0: Yeah, Pro and Pro Mini.
2: The Pro with the keyboard could be a, a decent uh, replacement for something like a MacBook Air when you're traveling but i can't i wouldn't see people replacing their macbook pros with an ipad anytime soon
1: i don't know i think my money is on more of an xcode complete uh tool if they're going to do something like that just because they're they're trying to show the ipad pro is like a laptop replacement and that's one thing it definitely needs uh they want to be able to do that um I mean, you can already do the IBM Swift open source stuff uh, in the cloud in, your, in Safari on your iPad or right. your phone for that right. matter. So, you hmm. know, we'll see.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's all about how far they take it. I, You know, I suppose you can get Office 360 on your iPad, so why not
1: Xcode? Maybe it's Swift only on the we'll iPad.
0: <laughs> so if we can run a bloated MS Office product, we can run Xcode, huh?
1: Maybe. Maybe. I think that yeah. analogy was a little bit more apt than you wanted it to be, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so another piece of news, and this just happened today. Apple released some fixes for iOS 9.3 screwing up old devices. So there were a couple activation bugs for old devices such as iPad 2s and and uh, old iphone 5 i think 5 on down maybe even 5s had 9.3 activation issues and so those should be resolved as of today but a little commentary aside here it just seems like testing for old devices is hard and on your own when you're not part of apple but when you're part of apple it seems like you should be able to test these kinds of things If you have the devices, you could actually even provision, say, new devices with those old OSs, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Is Apple not paying enough attention to old devices?
1: I don't know if they're not paying enough attention. I Give them the benefit of the doubt, I guess.
0: It seems to me like they always want to move on to the the latest and greatest really fast, and even faster than some businesses can keep up with. Case in point, yeah, I'm running Xcode seven two at my day job because we can't get on to the new El Capitan yet.
1: Yeah, but I I mean, I think Apple is a giant company, but they are—they're still very engineer constrained. But it seems like, you know, they don't even have people who are dedicated to all of their major. Uh, software things resources get shifted around to whatever the hottest thing is so it's it's hard to keep you know old stuff running well much less you know have people who are working on said thing that even know all of the details of what went into it so i don't know one other thing news item that i thought was kind of cool is that uh the uh, parse server got an update uh recently they have these live queries things which basically like let you subscribe to um a specific query and when the results change you get like a push notification in your app uh and the kind of even more interesting thing about it is it's only available on the uh, open source parse server app so uh there's changes that are happening to make parse the server better uh, going on just in the open source space. I mean, it's a ma- it's a pretty major new feature as far as features go.
0: Now, is that a feature that was contributed by the community, or is that from Facebook's engineering? Do you know? Um,
1: I'm not sure, Alex. Do you know? I know you were following this a little bit too. Seems like there is yeah, a blog post. Well,
2: there, yeah, there is a blog post. It's uh, um, you know, it's definitely you know, part of the open source project. Uh, and there are definitely some several Facebook engineers that are actively contributing to the open source project. I I don't know how much of this is from the community versus Facebook employees. Um, but it it does seem like the majority of these new features are coming from Facebook. I think we'll see more innovations like this. It, it's definitely taking on a life of its own.
1: Yeah, I think they're trying to, maybe they're even trying to like, encourage you to get off of, of their platform because I've, I've noticed lately they're like, make sure you migrate your data by X time period because if you don't, then you'll be classified as like a non-active project and they'll like deprioritize your traffic. Uh, so yeah. maybe it's hard to tell if their motivation is to say, hey, look at this new shiny over here. Go get that. Or if it's like, we just want to continue improving on the Swift server stuff. Maybe it's both.
2: I think it's both. I, I You know, the open source Parse server was a hack day event. And I, I think they really thought that was going to be a separate product and not replace Parse.com or or maybe replace it, but still be a commercial offering. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's... a pretty strong community around it so
1: for sure
0: yeah well it would have fit would have filled a nice niche for people that for security reasons of one sort or another had to run cloud services on premise
2: yeah but
0: and now it's not an issue <laughs> yeah
2: and True. uh you know that they, they do have intent to also add a, an admin dashboard as well at at some point i think they were hoping to have a light version out in the very near future, uh, with with a more robust uh, web UI coming later. So, yeah, that right now that's kind of the biggest missing component.
1: I thought I saw somewhere that they ha- that they had open source the uh, the dashboard, or is it is it a separate thing that you need to install now?
2: They might have, um, we'll have to follow up and see if we can find okay. that. Uh, last time I looked, I, I couldn't, all I could find were comments that they're working on it, but I haven't seen, personally, I haven't seen any, um, published, uh, release yet. So another news item that we, you know, we didn't talk about in the pre-show, um, but probably worth mentioning is Apple is working on, um, original content, uh, on a show that's, uh, about the, the app store and creating apps. I don't know if it's going to be a reality TV show or something like Silicon Valley, but, um, <laughs> you know, this, is, this would be, uh, Apple's first attempt as far as I know at original content, uh, for the Apple TV. And, uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to expect from, a show about the App Store.
1: Maybe season one they make the app. Season two they're stuck in review the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see.
2: Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting. Like if they they make it true to life and uh, complain about App Store review cycles getting rejected. Season five is yeah, bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if they make it to season five, that that would be impressive.
0: <laughs> all right. So that's all the news we've got this week. So there was a. Our topic this week does stem from some news from last week. And maybe if you happen to be trying to check out Node and do something with it last... What was it? Two weeks ago, I guess now. And you ran NPM and you your build you thought would have worked, but it didn't quite work. So turns out that there was a guy who basically got mad and fed up with some policies over at at Node's NPM project. Correct. Well it's called Node Package Manager, but Yeah, the I Node think it's a separate
1: manager. organization, right?
0: Yeah. I think so. But he uh decided to pull out all of his code and there happened to be he happened to have this nice little utility library in there that padded a string on the left side. <laughs>
1: utility and... library. It's very generous. <laughs> yeah, <fun. laughs>
0: utility function i suppose (laughs) and uh he pulled it out and it uh broke a lot of people so
2: yeah and the, the the dispute was over the use of the name of the project it's a company that claimed ownership for the name and wanted to have their own uh node libraries using that name and uh
1: Yeah, it was a kind of crappy situation. There wasn't really a win-win for everyone. The company was going to release a node package with their name, uh, and they had a trademark, and if you don't defend your trademark, you lose it. So they started defending it, and were like, hey, you have a package with our name. Can you like change your name? And the guy was like,
0: "Uh,
1: no, I don't want to change my name. So they said, well, the lawyer said you should probably change your name. Otherwise, we're going to have to get lawyers involved. And he was like, uh no I rage quit sorry I'm removing all my code, I, I guess in in the middle there right. uh, npm granted uh this this company access to the name and unpublished the other guy's code which made him understandably angry and made him rage quit but yeah
0: that's yeah but the 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 package that everybody was depending on didn't have the trademark conflict it was some other yeah package name it was left pad i guess (laughs) yeah i mean maybe there was somebody else with a trademark for left pad but not not in this case
1: yeah i wonder if any like irreparable harm has been done to the to the javascript or maybe specifically the node community
0: well i I did read that the npm people put that specific package back in at least temporarily without the guy's consent
1: oh yeah well that brought up even more issues but Mm-hmm. i mean if you're if you're on node thing like if you're some big enterprise uh and you had some like deploy with let's say parse server that uses node that day, you would have been really pissed off and you would have had some uh you know potentially some angry business owners and stakeholders who are like, I don't know if we should be using this node stuff anymore it's just gonna randomly completely break,
2: yeah. And there's a lot of big companies <laughs> who depend on node. So it, it had, uh, the potential of having a big impact and, you know, we're not, uh, we're not without risk in depend those types of issues and dependency management in iOS, which is kind of where this topic comes in. Yeah. So we all,
0: for the most part. Well, I guess there are plenty of developers out there or at least some significant minority that they don't want to bring in any dependencies into their apps. And I suppose it's admirable, but when you're crunched for time as a consultant or something, you need to get stuff out the door, so you pull in third parties. And so we have a number of actual third-party solutions right now, third-party dependency management solutions, and one of those being one of the big ones being Cocoa And if Cocoa Pods went down or somebody would pull out a pod, <laughs> what if uh, the AF networking guys said, never mind, we're pulling this, and we're pulling Alamo Fire at the same time?
1: Well, yeah, just a couple weeks ago, there was an issue with Cocoa Pods where they were getting rate limited by uh, GitHub uh, because they were using up too many resources <laughs> That's kind of an interesting saga to follow along too. There's this big GitHub issue that was like, "Hey, uh, what can we do to fix it?" <laughs> uh, so there's like some new features that they had to use and, and get uh, get the server resources down and stuff like that. But I mean, when you're using GitHub's resources, it's kind of a scary thing. But just just to go back to the you know the curmudgeon that's like, I don't want to have any dependencies i I say it's probably safe if you just need, let's say, 13 lines of code to left pad a string. You should probably not be pulling in a library. You should write your own function, write a unit test or two for it, uh, copy it from Stack Overflow, whatever. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that was... Make sure you actually need the dependency or there's enough... Gain for the risk that you're taking by adding a dependency before you uh, Go and add something like that because Probably all these libraries are depending on it probably shouldn't have been which is Probably the root of this problem, but there's it exposed other issues
0: Right in, in a lot of cases it was You pulled in a library that library pulled in something, and then that library pulled in the iPad. Right, <laughs> and you had no idea. Yeah,
2: yeah. Anytime you've got that chain of dependencies, you you have a higher risk of having problems down the road. You know, the getting rid of that dependency gets that much harder uh, when it's a hierarchy and you're you're pulling threads to to replace pieces of it.
0: Yeah, I'd but, say. If- everybody should at least go and look at their pod file lock their pod file dot lock file because that pull, tells you everything that was pulled in and you might be surprised how many sub libraries or dependencies that one little library you just pulled in is going to bring in itself and yeah. while you may think to audit that code or think well you trust that one developer but it's really your strength is only as strong as the weakest link in that chain.
2: You run into issues where you might have multiple libraries that depend on, this, on the same thing, but perhaps different versions. And so you you get into uh, potential challenges there. Uh, I've got a legacy project that depends on RESTKit, and that's using a very old version of AF networking. So I can't pull in a, a new version of AF networking uh, for other libraries. Not that I would necessarily want to have two different networking libraries, but it's a uh, you know th- there's a lot more that you have to manage. Um, so thinking about that dependency chain is important. Um, also, you know the licensing with those dependencies is something to consider as well. Most, most often, you know, we see fairly friendly licensing with open source projects in in the iOS and, and Mac communities. But uh, you certainly can still run into some that are perhaps not appropriate for certain types of applications. Uh, we always had to be very careful at uh, you know working you know for a large enterprise uh, and avoid uh, certain uh, GPL and such licensing that required source to be donated back because, you know, you run the risk of, of either violating the license or having to share proprietary information.
0: Right. Which is definitely not something you want to be put in the middle of. Yeah. So
1: what other problems can you have with dependencies?
2: I think I think Josh Brown, uh, who's been on the show a couple of times, had a nice write-up several months ago about how to decide whether or not to bring a dependency into your project.
1: Yeah, it was a good article.
2: Yeah, we can link back to that. I think, you know, whether you're using CocoaPods, Carthage, uh, Swift Package Manager, um, there's you know, it tends to to be a debate of do you check in those dependencies or not? You know, in the past, I would always say that you wouldn't want to check in anything that could be regenerated, Uh, but when you have the risk of that dependency potentially going away, you know, it definitely adds weight to the argument of checking in uh, those dependencies into source control. And these days, storage being as cheap as it is, it's you know GitHub doesn't necessarily limit you on storage too much. So you can certainly check in those those dependencies. Uh, at a minimum, you want to check in. If you're using CocoaPods, you want to check in your lock file, uh, so you can make sure everybody's using the same version. But um, it can be a good right. idea to check in the actual uh pods as well um but it that creates other issues especially you know if if you're adding dependencies on a fairly regular basis working on a team you can definitely run into a decent amount of merge conflicts and while you know it, it tends to be relatively easy to resolve you know usually you want to merge using theirs or using yours um if you're using a different version of CocoaPods, you, you can easily run into hundreds of of merge conflicts in the project file.
0: Yeah, Natasha the robot though had a nice article a few months ago about using a uh, little Ruby tactic to use this, to always use the same version of CocoaPods. And there's a tool in the Ruby community called Bundler. And you can install that and then do a bundle and then create a gem file that includes CocoaPods and specify the version for it. And then the only thing you have to do is do a bundle install and a bundle exec with your command line. So, like bundle exec pod install. And then everybody's going to use the same version of CocoaPods from that point on, as long as they're using Bundler.
2: Yeah. And I've adopted that as a practice, so hmm. I you know that's made things a lot easier, especially on the build server. And
0: well, they've been breaking things quite a bit lately in these later one point betas.
2: Yeah, I haven't even touched the betas. <laughs> it's, uh...
0: I I tried. I think I'm on one point beta two on one of my machines, and that one was stable. But then there was a bug in one in beta four that got cleared up in beta five, and then came back in beta six.
2: Yeah, oh, man, I saw that. I saw some comments about that. Yeah, a
0: little bit dangerous to put your toes in the water right now.
1: I'm glad I one. I just vendor all of my code straight up and don't even have a dependency manager as a dependency. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no pods for you. That's
1: Right. Maybe once they're 1.0 final, we'll see.
2: See what happens come June.
0: <laughs> You'll convert everything to Swift too, right?
2: Well, I am, yeah, I am looking forward to the day that uh, we don't necessarily have to depend on a third party for dependency management. And, you know, it's kind of built into the platform and is fairly stable and reliable. Um, I don't know how soon that'll happen, but...
1: Well, I'd be happy with a stable and reliable third party.
2: Yeah. I just you know I've every one I've tried has been they all have their edge cases that where they they fall down. So and I I've tried to mix and match in some cases and that that sounds even worse. Of, <laughs> yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and on Swift we yeah. still have the issue that your code may not even compile under whatever version you're trying to to do stuff with, as well.
2: Right. Right, which, you know, back to dependency management, that creates, you know, that's another consideration that if you have a bunch of Swift dependencies, and this is, you know, maybe one of the big arguments about holding off on Swift is not only do you have to keep your code up to date uh, with every release, but you have all the libraries, all the dependencies that you need to either, you know, hopefully you picked dependencies that are well-maintained and will have an update as soon as the new version's ready or, or before. Uh, But you certainly could run run into scenarios where you have to uh, migrate to the latest version of of those dependencies yourself, because there isn't that great of support for that particular library. And I've, I've run into that where, you know, a relatively popular package that, shouldn't have been a, a big deal to update and there are pull requests to update it Uh they just haven't been merged yet for swift 2 2 uh, which really surprises me
0: well and then come june it's going to be a bigger issue because all the packages are going to be broken for at least a little while yeah and they'll be in their own little branches
1: No Swift for me until Swift 3. You guys are all crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, and conversely, to your point, Alex, if you happen to get stuck on an older version of Swift and your well-maintained libraries are leaving you behind with bug fixes, that's another problem.
2: Yeah, you definitely have the inverse. And you can't, um, for the most part, you can't specify, I want to build with this version of Swift short of, Um, installing the right version of Xcode in order to do that. Right. It's it's tied to that Xcode version. I think uh, Xcode 7.3, you can, to some degree, pick the toolchain you want to build with. Uh, So you can, like, you know, you can use a developer snapshot uh, to build. Uh, and, And maybe we'll see a little bit more flexibility, you know, where it's less dependent on the version of Xcode and more on... On uh, the tool chain that you configure f- for Xcode, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but you know, it adds another variable that you need to to manage across your teams. So, are there for
0: people that are stuck in enterprise development world? Is there <laughs> is there any kind of enterprise version of CocoaPods or support in enterprise tools for CocoaPods? Like I know. The the Java guys, they and by extension Android developers, they can use Artifactory, which does support Java and Android dependencies.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, in the company I worked at previously, where we had quite a lot of Java development, uh, I was my team was responsible for setting up Artifactory and and that added a lot of value to our team and how we manage dependencies because not only you know, do we have um, this tool that can have a local cache of all those dependencies, so rather than checking everything into version control, uh, we have basically a, an in-house repository of those, those libraries in an artifactory. Uh, we could also set up snapshot uh, repositories for internal libraries as well Uh, Which was quite handy, but it also gave us a level of control over which dependencies were allowed to be used in the organization. We had literally hundreds of web applications that were using Artifactory to to build the apps. Um, And I and I know when uh, we started moving towards iOS. uh, Myself and I'm sure many others submitted feature requests to Uh, the folks behind Artifactory to add support for CocoaPods and similar uh, dependency management tools uh, for mobile. And I do believe they have CocoaPods and NPM and several other uh, package manager um, tooling um, built into it now. So yeah, I believe you can use CocoaPods in the enterprise uh, with Artifactory as well as NPM.
0: That's interesting. I didn't think Artifactory supported CocoaPods, right now.
2: It didn't in the past. Um, based on their website, it looks like they do now have support for CocoaPods and and many other things. Uh, but Artifactory is not a you know it's not something that you would necessarily buy as an independent developer to manage your dependencies because you know starting prices in the thousands of dollars if you want an on-site installation, and if you want to be in the cloud, I think it. It's close to $200 a month. So it's probably not something you're going to do for one project or, you know, a a very small team. It's definitely more something for the enterprise. Right. But
0: that does help you out on the day that GitHub goes down from a denial of service attack and your builds are no longer working.
2: Well and it also sped up our build times too, so rather than going to all these different sources to to download your builds, we had basically had a local cache an edge cache of our libraries, so things were were quite a bit faster
1: and it protects you from your uh your package maintainer deciding to you know change source control in the past if you are controlling what versions are are in your artifactory.
2: Yeah. That was a rough one. (laughs) And anybody working in an enterprise with firewalls, uh, dependency management with proxy servers was always a pain as well. And and some did did work with proxy servers and some didn't. Um, But with Artifactory, we were able to basically avoid the whole proxy setup. We set it up for Artifactory and it managed going out and pulling the dependency so the developers didn't have to worry about their build scripts talking, uh, going through the proxy server.
0: Yeah. So let's wrap it up and
2: give a little definitive advice to our listeners. So are you guys going to start checking in your libraries into version control? Or do you do that now?
1: already do. And it's not, not because. I'm trying to uh, protect myself. It's it's more of just a side effect of not having a dependency manager as a legacy, um, but maybe when there's something more official, I'll have to revisit. What about you guys?
0: So I used to be against it, seeing as it was something that could be regenerated, but I'm much more for it these days and probably having a designated person in there to do the actual check-in if possible. But that probably doesn't matter as much.
2: Yeah. I think it's like, you know, the, the beginning of a project, you tend to add dependencies fairly rapidly. And then over time it becomes more stable and less of an issue. Um, you know, for myself, I, it's kind of 50, 50, some projects I, check in the dependencies. Some I don't. Um, I I do try and limit what dependencies I use. And, um, I have a fairly, fairly, uh, long list of criteria that, that I look at before I decide to adopt a dependency and and whether or not, you know, like you, you were talking about Argo, whether to copy the dependency in or is it something I could just write myself or do I just need you know I I don't want to bring in a huge framework just for one function
0: right and how much do you ding a library if you find out that they're depending on something that is very simple would you decide maybe you shouldn't bring in that library because it's going to bring in a bad dependency
2: Um, best case scenario that it doesn't have transitive dependencies. It doesn't have, you know, you know, something you know, a library that depends on yet another third party library to me is, is somewhat problematic anyway. Um, whether it's a little function or a big library, I'd actually rather it be a little function than a big library because it's easier to replace if, if need be later. Um,
0: yeah, but early on, a lot of these Swift libraries were depending on little tiny ones like oh, yeah, box, and box and Result.
2: Well, that's a whole you know separate discussion because almost all the ones that I ran into implemented their own, which is a whole separate issue. Of <laughs> how many different implementations of Result and Box uh, do you need? And how do you manage right. uh, conflict in that scenario? Like You know, if you have some code that brings in a JSON parser and uh, Alamafire and they both have something called result in the same, and you're importing both modules. Um, that that creates other issues. Yeah,
0: which you could work around a little bit, right? With namespacing.
2: It's not, yeah. you
0: Module namespacing, I guess. Yeah,
2: there tends to be pretty tight integration or, you know, the code tends to be pretty much in the, in the same place with, Network operations and JSON parsing, um, so you you know it's it's a little bit harder to keep those separate. It, you can still do it; it just takes a little bit more consideration. Yeah, yeah. I must wish they would prefix their. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to implement your own result, <laughs> prefix it.
1: So let me back up a little bit. It it seems like a lot of uh, our stances on what we do with dependencies are kind of based on kind of the odd state that. Uh, iOS and Mac and all the other Apple uh, developer technologies kind of the state that we're in right now just of transition of languages of tools Um, if if you guys were doing something in a completely different language or platform would you have the same stance Or, or is this just unique to kind of the Apple ecosystem right now
2: I, I don't think this is unique. I think, you know, you see the same thing with Node, with NPM, or, or in Ruby with Gems. Uh, so managing the versions and making sure everybody's building with the same version. Uh, it's um, And they all depend on repositories uh, that are in the open source community that could potentially disappear, at, you know, without notice. So... I don't think it's unique to our ecosystems. I, th- I think we have more challenges because our dependency management tools are newer and uh, some of them do a lot more than just manage dependencies because of the way Xcode works and how, how frameworks and versus uh, libraries or subprojects work. Uh, dynamic frameworks... Now make some of that a little easier but uh i th- I think we're still maturing quite a bit with the tooling,
1: yeah, but if I was in a more something a little bit more kind of stable, I think I might have a different opinion, like if I was doing dot net or java or something like that uh i might e- even you know after this this kind of blip happened, I'll call it a blip uh with with n p m uh it seems like that is not the common occurrence. Um, but certainly things could happen that are bad. I might still just say, all right, I'm not vendoring my code.
2: I, I think well is a little bit more straightforward. Uh, Java is a little bit more straightforward. But I also know that you know we had plenty of times where we had to uh, work around uh, the whole transitive dependency issue, where multiple libraries depend on the same thing, but different version. So, you know, we'd have exceptions in, in our, uh, dependency list to, to deal with that. You know, to Yeah. Degree, I'm going to that... come, go ahead.
0: I'm going to come down and say that you can't always depend on those repositories that you're looking at to always be secure. Um, Mm-hmm. Even let's say ruby gems, they've they've been hacked before, yeah, true. And they've had versions of the gems of their gems get compromised. And, um, and it doesn't even take that to get hacked. If you have a well known repository, somebody could, you know, do some social engineering on you on you and grab your GitHub credentials and then check in some bad code. Yeah. What if the AF networking guys? somebody is able to guess their password and all of a sudden we're deploying you know, thousands of apps that deploy that depend on AF networking that have malware installed in them. Yeah, you know, this, this could be a, a big problem. And if if you're vendoring your dependencies, you're at least isolated from that a little bit because you would hope that those problems would be surfaced pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, although there's nothing to stop you from from doing something when you're in that bad state. But yeah, I think I kind of agree with you guys. I would probably still I mean it's it's hard to think of it outside the realm of iOS, but I feel like if I was starting something new in iOS, I would still probably check all that stuff in just just to be safe. But you could have some issue right when you check it in. Although like you said, it doesn't won't change as often, so
2: it doesn't have to be checked in the version control as I, I think it all comes down to being able to have a some sort of local repository of cache right. where you store these so you're not dependent on lots of third party um, sources that may go away.
0: Maybe that'll be a feature in the new Xcode bots for Xcode eight.
2: Oh well, we had that we you know Xcode has that whole concept of modules and the module cache I mean in theory it could get get there
1: you mean that thing that makes me that delete my that... drive data all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. yeah <that> <laughs> okay yeah that sounds awesome
0: my build failed <laughs> my build's failing for some reason oh yeah I'd delete
2: this so obviously not not ready for prime time yet but um you know they they have something in that space just doesn't quite work right doesn't doesn't address the same issue yeah exactly all right. Anything else uh, you guys want to add about dependency management? Nope.
0: Vendor them. Yes. <laughs> uh,
1: one one more quick thing. Uh, on the show notes, you're going to find a, a survey just about kind of what your your current thoughts are as a listener about the podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you fill it out. Uh, like Sam was talking about earlier, we're trying to switch things up uh, with this episode, trying a new... Um, format out a bit uh, and we're just curious what your thoughts are what you want what you don't want uh, so uh, fill out the survey Uh, other than that um, it's about all the time we have so why don't you guys tell me where we can find you on the internet
2: you can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter
0: and I'm at Sam Corder on Twitter
1: I'm at Alex Argo on Twitter uh, and you can find the podcast at Shared Inst on twitter uh check us out in the in our slack chat room at chat that uh shared instance.com what else
0: <laughs> show notes for this episode will be at shared instance.com slash okay. 55
2: thanks guys yeah thanks thank you a lot.
0: great discussion tonight